Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. I learned that as a, as a kid at um, an FIC church, Summerstown Mission Evangelical Church uh, in South London in the early 1990s. Um, and I know those words well. You, you might know those words well. They go around in my head all the time. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. It is internally ingrained in my head. I will never be able to get rid of those words. I will never forget the lyrics. But so often, so often I forget the truth of those lyrics. So often I forget the truth of those words. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. So beautifully simple words, Jesus loves me. And yet in those words, there's a, there's a depth of truth that given an eternity, we'd never fully explore. It's, um, it's Friday evening. It's 10 to 9. I've just started my stop clock, so that's my 40 minute starts there. And you're, you're exhausted. It's been a long week. Um, you've had the the few hours of bad chat with the person who kindly gave you a lift uh, up here. And you'd rather be in bed than on the chair here. You'd rather not be wearing your mask or having to drink another cup of tea. You don't really want to be here. I know you'd rather be in bed. And so I want to do one simple thing with you tonight. Knowing we're all exhausted, I want to do one simple thing. I want to keep it simple. Here's the one thing I want us to see, want me to see, want you to see as we open up God's word today. I want you to see this. You have no idea how much Christ loves you, and you have no idea how much, how much Christ loves every single one of his precious little believers. You have no idea. Paul, in, um, in one of his letters, prays that believers would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What a wonderful thing to, to pray for, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we would know the, unlo the unknowable love of Christ. So that's what I'm praying for us now. And, and, and let me pray that now as we open up Matthew 18, that we would know the unlovable knowledge, know the un unknowable love of Jesus for all his people, that we would get a glimpse of that unknowable love of Jesus for the smallest, for the weakest, for the simplest of his children. Let me pray that now. Father, as we open up, this word, as we open up your words, please help us to see Jesus in all his glory this weekend that we would leave more amazed by him, more in love with him than when we arrived. Amen. As we begin, let, let me give you a, a dangerous peek into my heart, a dangerous peek into my heart. Earlier this week, I, I met with a church member who uh, was, has, has gone through a, a, a difficult period in her marriage and her husband has left them. So I met with her uh, to speak to her children about their dad not coming back anymore. It went better than I could have hoped. It went better than I could have hoped. She was thankful. The kids seemed to understand. They seemed to get the, the fact that Jesus is the one who will never break his promises, even though their dad will break his promises. And, and as I left off her flat, I went into the, to the lift. I pressed down on the lift, and I stood in that lift, and I thought to myself, I'm brilliant. Thought, I'm brilliant. In fact, no word of a lie, and I, and I apologize for this, no word of a lie. I thought, I'm probably the best pastor in London. 
Late that day, a member of my church shared how much they'd grown through another, another pastor, a previous pastor. And instead of being thankful about the growth of this young believer, I was jealous that that wasn't me. I could go on and I, and I won't because you'll throw things at me. And yet here's the massive danger. Not just my pride, not just the, the danger of my pride, but that I use others as a means for my own ego and my own glory, or I treat them as a barrier to my own ego and my glory. My own inflated view of myself prevents me to see, for seeing the wonderful worth of all the little ones in Christ's beautiful church. It stops me from seeing the love that Christ has for them. And it stops me from seeing the, 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 the love that Christ has for me. This was, a, this was the lesson, I think, as, as, as we're working through Matthew. I think this is the lesson that the disciples have taken so long to learn. The worth of, of the believers in comparison to them. It's where, it's where our passage begins with this, with this group of men with a very clear, over-inflated view of themselves. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest of kingdom of heaven? The other accounts of this tell us that, and you probably know this, other accounts of this tell us that the disciples were, were arguing about this on the way. This is probably the, the same account when they're fighting about who is, the, who is the greatest. You can imagine them walking along. It's a, it's a kind of game of disciples, top, tr top trumps. Which one of us is the best? Which one of us is the greatest? Well, I, I was the one who was, who was taken up by him on, on the mountain with, with Moses and Elijah and, and me. I, I must be the greatest. Well, he called me first. I was the first one that he came. Well, he always sits next to me when we have the supper. Well, he said he would build the church on me. And they want, they want Jesus to be the judge. Surely he's got the final say. The king of the kingdom is the final say of the, st the standing of the people in the kingdom. So they ask him, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What they mean is, which of us? Which one of us? I mean, it's got to be, we're 1 to 12, we know that, yeah? We're 1 to 12, so just, just tell us, Jesus, which order, which one is the greatest? don't know about you, but I'm, I'm always blown away by Jesus' patience with the disciples, yeah? Three years of being Jesus' apprentices, walking, talking, watching, listening, have they learned nothing? Asking these these stupid self-centered questions where it seems that, that, that everything that Jesus ever taught them just kind of goes completely out the window where they ask these questions. They can seem to forget everything. It completely contradicts everything that he's ever taught. I'm always blown away by Jesus' patience with the disciples' friends. I should be more blown away by Jesus' patience with me. I am so like the disciples. 20 years of the Holy Spirit working in me. And you still see my heart. Reading, watching, listening to Jesus. 33 years of my life with the lyrics of Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so going round and round in my head and I still forget it. And unlike them, I have the privilege of the Holy Spirit reminding me daily, reminding me moment by moment of these truths and yet I still forget these things. I am far better off than them. Have I learned nothing? Sadly, ironically in a sense, my own self-inflated view of my, my, own, uh, my own glory, my own ego, stops me from seeing my own sin and stops me from seeing the beauty of Jesus. But Jesus is patient. Wonderfully patient. Always patient. 
And so Jesus responds to them, not, not with, with words at, at first, but, but initially with a picture, like a, a kind of physical parable. He, he takes a child and places it in, in front of them. It's, it's Jesus' show and tell. Do you see this? Just, just visualize it with me. Be there. Be there in the crowd. See this happening. The, 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 the visual of this is really important for us to understand this. They're, they're asking, which of us is the greatest? Tell us Jesus which one. And he, verse 2, called a little child to him. And place the child among them. Picture it. You're in the crowd. The disciples, they're, they're big blokes. They're, they're proper blokes. They're, they're fishermen. They're, they're builders. They're, they're tradesmen. They know what they're doing. They're, they're workers. They, they, they've had years and years and years of walking with Jesus, of learning from him. They are, they are physically and metaphorically towering above everyone around them. Impressive men in some ways. And Jesus motions this little child and places this child among them. He doesn't look like much. And that right there is the picture. That right there is the picture of greatness in the kingdom of heaven. A tiny child in the middle of these towering men. He doesn't look like much at all. And then Jesus says this wonderful words here. Truly I tell you, Unless you change, that is, convert, transform. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Wouldn't that be a great truth for us to, to remember? There's a, there's, a, there's a wonderful truth in there. Just, just see this with me. The truth that... Let's remember this truth, friends. You've heard it before. You know this truth, but let's remember this truth. The truth that a childlike Christian is the only type of Christian. A childlike Christian is the only type of Christian. Jesus says, become like little children. Stood there in the middle of this group of guys. This, this little kid doesn't look like much. And that is exactly the point. Looks pathetic, looks small, looks weak. In every earthly sense, they are worth far more than this child. In that culture, they are worth far more than this child. They are bigger, they are stronger, they are smarter, they are wiser. Over time, they would expect this child to become like them. That's the natural progression. The way they see it, the way that we see it, this child will change and become like them. But Jesus flips it on its head. Changes it completely. As we saw earlier, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. Jesus says, you need to change and become like him. That's conversion, isn't it? That's the, at its simplest, at its most basic, that's conversion, isn't it? That's faith. Knowing our dependence, knowing our weakness, knowing our nothingness. Knowing Jesus' mercy, childlike, humble, needy, unable to do anything ourselves. That little Judah out there who all he can do is cry and hope that we come. That's humility, that's faith. friends. Nothing changes as we, grow, as we grow. Nothing should change as we grow. Christian maturity is always humility. Christian maturity is always humility. I was, um, I was speaking relatively recently to a, to a pastor friend of mine at a, at a, at a conference when we were, we were chatting, um, and he was telling me a, 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 about um, uh, Christians who are coming to his church uh, from university, fresh out of university, coming and arriving in his church. Coming from good, solid Bible teaching churches where they've been taught the gospel and reminded of those truths. But when they arrived at his church, they'd refused to join the newcomers group 
because they were too mature. Too mature to join a, a newcomer's group. Friends, a childlike Christian is the only kind of Christian. Maturity is always humility. And, in this, and, and, and this is the thing, in this conversation that I, that I had with him, suddenly I saw, in fact, it wasn't until after the conversation I had with him and as I walked away, I saw their words in my own heart. I saw my own heart in their, in their attitude because my, my response, can you believe this? My response was to tell a story about someone that, from my own church who'd come to Hope Church, questioned the way that I was pastoring the church, questioned some things that I was doing, and I told this pastor, who do they think they are coming to my church and telling me how to do my job? No humility. That's what I said. Expose my heart. Friends, the clearest sign of true conversion, the clearest sign of the true faith of a true Christian is humility. Not knowledge, not wisdom, not experience. Though those things are good and right, but humility. And the change that these disciples need, the transformation that these disciples need, the tra- transformation that we all need, that everyone that we, that we seek to share the gospel with, that the change that we need is not the transformation from one belief system to another belief system. Not the transformation from one religion to another religion, not from one political view to another political view, but the transformation from natural pride to supernatural humility. Growing up, as we grow up as a believer, it should mean that we stop being childish. It should. We should throw away those childish ways, but it should never mean that we stop being childlike, humble. Friends, we must understand this. You must understand this. I must understand this as we consider the the qualifications, the the calling as, as well into ministry. The most important characteristic of a Christian, therefore the most important characteristic of a Christian leader, a pastor, an elder, a missionary, a woman's worker, a children's worker, the most important attribute is humility, not biblical literacy, not theological orthodoxy, although those things are good, not preaching ability, but childlike humility. In the kingdom, in the church, in the body, you will always be an apprentice. Never a senior pastor. There's no such thing. You won't graduate, not really. Christians climb down. That's the, way of, that's the way of Christ, isn't it? Would you be content to set up chairs for 50 years in the church if that's what the Lord called you to do? And in case in my arrogance, my arrogance, which I'm sure is far greater than your arrogance, in case in my arrogance I think I am better than that, what an example we have of this in our Lord who made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of the servant. Even death was not beneath him. Perfect humility. Now, I think if I was one of the disciples at this point, I'd feel pretty humiliated, pretty embarrassed in a way. It's the, for a football fan, it's the, it's the equivalent of being nutmegged. Yeah? You just feel like an idiot. You feel small. You feel pathetic. You want the ground to swallow you up. And yet, what kindness from God, hey? What kindness from Jesus that every moment for these disciples, every moment of gospel humiliation is a gift of grace. You probably found that, and I hope you found that in your life. If you haven't found that yet, you will find it. Every moment of gospel humiliation is a gift of grace. It was for the disciples and it is for us. You see, Jesus in his grace, he, 
he pops that balloon of self-inflated self-importance. And now where they were once blind, because all they could see is themselves in their own position, he pops that balloon and then suddenly they can see and they can begin to see the wonderful worth of the seemingly insignificant people in this world. Friends, you will never see each and every believer the way that Jesus does unless you, on the daily, let go of your overinflated view of yourself and humbly come to him. And, that, and that's where, where Jesus turns next. Take, take a look uh, with me down at, at verses 6 and, and 7, and I'll read that out again to remind us. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of these things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. These little ones may not look like much, but the king of kings cares if you make them stumble. I, um, I was baptized with a black eye. Um, let me tell you the story. Um, when, I was, when I was growing up, so back to, to being a kid in primary school, my best mate was the hardest lad in school. Proper tough. His name was Dean. That's a proper name, isn't it? Dean. <laughs> and um, I said that at Hope Church, and, um, and Dean was there. <laughs> Not this Dean, but a different Dean. There's lots of Deans. Um, I, I, I wasn't a massive pushover at, at school, but he was properly hard. And people didn't mess with me. Because people knew that if you mess with Sam, you mess with Dean, and Dean is solid. <laughs> but we ended up going off to different schools. So primary school together, secondary school, and we stopped hanging out as much. And then when I was 17, the night before I, went, I, was, I was baptized, I went for a walk with the friends who were with me for my baptism. And this guy jumped us. And he was built like a brick house. He was solid. 19 or 20 years old probably, shaven head, but he looked about 40. Life had been hard to this poor guy. And he jumped on us. He, he, he came, he, he, he punched and headbutted my mate who fell on the floor. I then foolishly stood up in front of him and decided to ask him the question, what are you doing? <laughs> Which the answer, answer was, I'll show you and smack me in the face. So the next, I won't tell you what, what happened next because I just laid on the floor for a bit. It's a bit pathetic. But the next day I was baptized with a black eye. Now fast forward a few weeks and there's a knock at my door and I open the door and this guy, bald head, looking about 40, stood there. Says, I'm sorry. I'm thinking, what on earth is going on here? Why is he saying I'm sorry? I'm sorry, he says. Sorry for punching you. I didn't know you was Dean's mate. <laughs> now, I don't know what Dean did. <laughs> I don't want to know what Dean did. I've met up with Dean um, since, and he's told me stuff that he did, but not that particular thing. And if he did anything of, like the things that he did then, then this guy, man. But here's the thing. You mess with Sam, you mess with Dean. Now here Jesus says, mess with one of my little ones and you mess with me. And you don't want to do that. Listen again to what Jesus says about his little ones. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble. See, our belief in Jesus, you see that? Our belief in Jesus unites us to him. We are his little ones. And he now, out of his overwhelming love for you, his overwhelming love for his own, takes interest in our harm. Just like Dean, mess with us and he won't ignore it. 
It matters to him because we matter to him and we are united to him. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That is a vivid picture. We miss this so often when we, when we open up these passages that we know so well, but what a vivid picture. Jesus says a millstone, a big solid stone. Jesus says a large millstone. You're talking, apparently, as I've looked this up, 1,500 kilograms. Now, I weigh about 80 kilograms. Lie. I weigh about 100 kilograms. <laughs> 15 of me. That, apparently, that's the weight of a caravan. I was quite embarrassed by that, to know that 15 of me, you could line up and I'd be the weight of a caravan. <laughs> hung around their neck and drowned into the depth of the sea. Average depth of the sea, two miles. Did you know that? So if you had a large millstone hung around your neck, you are sinking fast to the bottom of the sea for two miles. I don't know at what point you die, but it's before you hit the bottom. And you are not coming back. It's awful. The language is awful. And Jesus says that that is better then what will actually happen to someone who causes a little believer to stumble, if you cause a believer to stumble, when judgment day comes, you are going to wish you had drowned at the bottom of the sea. And the brutal picture here is supposed to be a massive warning. It's meant to shock us. Jesus isn't loose. He's never loose with his language. Every picture, every word matters. God's punishment here is worse than the depth of the sea, and it is more sure and certain than a man sinking to the bottom of that sea with a millstone tied around his neck. And this is what will happen. Worse than this is what will happen to any who harm any of the ones that Jesus loves. Friends, you have no idea how much Christ cares for every single one of his little believers. Christian, you have no idea how much, how much Christ cares for you. He cares so much that this is his warning to anyone who might make you stumble. And we need to hear this. We need to hear that he cares so much for every believer, that this is the warning for, for me and for you, should we ever cause a little one in faith to stumble. What does it mean by that? I, th I think by, by stumble, I think it means that, that if we were to do anything to them that would cause them to sin or to do anything that would hold back Christ from them or hold them back from Christ. Sadly, our world is full of Christians who have done just that. It's been all over our, our news recently, either in their teaching, in their actions, in abuse or manipulation. Leaders have, have abused their position and harmed the childlike believer. Friends, abuse is awful. Every kind of that kind of abuse is awful. But there's a sense in which the worst thing about any, any abuse is how it puts a barrier between a little believer and Christ. There is nothing in the world that can be done that it, to, to a person that is worse than blocking their view of Christ, than holding back them from Christ or holding Christ back from them. And Jesus himself will bring justice. So friends, if you're here today and you have been harmed or hurt or abused by another believer, which sadly in my, in my experience of People in ministry is far higher than we could ever uh, imagine, and, I was, and, I, and I've been shocked to learn. But if you have been harmed or hurt or abused by another believer, and you are concerned that there has been no justice, do not fear. Mess with Dean, mess with Sam, mess with Sam, mess with Dean, mess with 
the child of God, mess with Christ himself, you have no idea how much Christ cares for you. He will not let that go. He will bring justice. And if you're here considering, like many of you are, pastoral ministry or, or some kind of ministry, open your ears to Jesus' warning. See how much Christ cares for every believer and know that how you treat them, how you treat every single one of them, even the, the one who irritates you, the one who you just want to kind of bat aside, the one who, when they come to you, you just want to have a conversation with anyone else. Know how you treat them. How you treat every single one of them matters to Jesus. Make it your life's goal in ministry to, in humility, present Christ in all his truth and all his beauty, with grace, with patience, with integrity, to everyone who he places under your care. You have no idea how much Jesus cares for you. You have no idea how much Jesus cares for every little one of faith. But if you're still in doubt, Jesus gives us another picture. The final one we'll look at today. Verse 10, look down at verse 10 if you've got it there. Jesus says, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. They may not look like much. They may not look like much. As this small child is placed in front of these disciples, that's still the center of, of this illustration. They may not look like much, but the king of kings cares if you make them stumble. They may not look like much, but their angelic entourage should make you tremble. Charlie and myself and Judah were, were walking in Hampstead the other day. Hampstead's like a posh part of London, properly posh, very nice. We only go there occasionally. And we were out walking, walking with Judah and, and we were coming out, coming out of the shop. So we were walk, walking past and coming out of the shop is this very ordinary looking woman. So ordinary that we completely missed her. We hardly saw her. We almost walked straight into her. And then suddenly out of nowhere, as we're walking towards her and bumping into her, two blokes in suits with those kind of twisty earpieces kind of came up next to her. And then, and then within seconds, a, a blacked out SUV uh, like flies around the corner. Now, normally a blacked out SUV in Hampstead is a mum picking up her kids from school, but this one was a bit different. So that kind of came around the corner. Two body, body, bodyguards there, there, doors open, another bodyguard comes out and, and puts her in the car, and, and, then a, and then another car comes up and, and zooms away with her. It was an impressive entourage. And you know what we were thinking, which is exactly what you would have been thinking. Who is it? Who is she? She didn't look like a celebrity. She looked like a very ordinary woman. Perhaps we thought she's royalty, like a, a foreign princess or something like that, a daughter of a, a European king, if they've still got them. She's got to be someone pretty impressive to have that kind of entourage, yeah? You want me to tell you who, the, who she is? I don't know who she is. <laughs> Just realise that. The only, the only point in the whole talk there's, there's been tension and you've been on the edge of your seats. <laughs> Sorry. Flo Floyd Mayweather. Floyd the Money Mayweather. One of the greatest boxers of his generation has the entourage to end all entourage. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture, but if you haven't, search for it. Up to six blokes at a time. I think there's a rule that he says that they've got to be seven foot. How crazy is that? These blokes are massive. Mayweather is five foot eight. Yeah. You would walk past him in the street and you'd have no idea, completely ordinary looking, apart from the fact that he is surrounded by five or six man mountains. 
In fact, as I was looking looking into this, apparently Floyd Mayweather bought another private jet, a second private jet, because he was concerned about the weight of his first private jet carrying all his bodyguards, so they go separate to him. That is some entourage. But friends, the heavenly entourage of even the most insignificant of Jesus' little ones puts Mayweather's heavies to shame. They are nothing in comparison. Friends, when we are tempted to think little of another believer, or when we are tempted to think little of ourselves in Christ's eyes, let their heavenly entourage remind you of their worth in Christ. No plane could carry the weight of that glory. The Bible tells us that the angels, all angels, exist to serve all Christians all of the time. What a wonderful thing that is. All angels exist to serve all Christians all of the time. Hebrews 1.14 says this, Are not all angels, ministering spirits, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's you. The angel of the Lord, Psalm 34, verse 7, encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Now look again at verse 10. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. This isn't saying, as, as, as some people suggest, that we all have a personal guardian angel. That's a massive thing. On the, on the estate in Vauxhall, loads of people believe in a personal guardian angel. This isn't saying that. It's better than that. It's far better than that. Do you see, Jesus is saying that even the seemingly insignificant believer has an entourage of angels always serving them. Angels who, verse 10, day in, day out, have the privilege of seeing God's face, have the role on earth day in, day out of watching your back. What a wonderful truth. Charles Spurgeon speaks of this really beautifully when he, when he says these words, and I quote, the highest courtiers of glory count it their honor to watch over the lowly in heart. These guys see the face of God on the daily. What a position, yet it is their honor to constantly have your back. Back to our, our mystery woman for a moment, though. Still not going to tell you because I don't know. The bodyguards do not give her her worth. The bodyguards do not give her worth. No, they just show her worth to the watching world. She is protected by them because of her worth. Her worth, let's say she's a princess, her worth comes from her royal line. But it is when you see the entourage, it was only when we saw the entourage that we know her worth. Mayweather has bodyguards for the same reason, to protect him because he is a costly, expensive asset. Someone with an outrageously high net worth. That's who he is. So he has this entourage to protect that net worth. You see them walking around him and you think he must be worth a penny or two and you would be right. Friends, it is the same with every single believer who is seemingly nobody in this world. This is what Jesus is saying. Their heavenly entourage does not give them their worth. They are not worth something because they've got angels watching their backs. No, but their worth is displayed by the size and the glory of their entourage. It is not the angels, but the price that the Father has paid for every single believer that gives them their worth. Friends, that is what gives you your worth. Which means that every single believer, however seemingly insignificant, has unknowable worth. Shown, seen by us in their 
angelic entourage displayed to the heavenlies in their angelic entourage but given by the ransom price that jesus willingly and wonderfully paid to set them free from death and satan that is your work that's you that is every single believer without exception you have no idea how much christ loves you and you have no idea how much christ loves every single little one of faith The disciples need to learn this lesson. Man, they need to learn this lesson. These are the guys who, back in Matthew 17, on top of the hill with Moses and, Eli Moses and Elijah, say, it's good for us to be here. Can we stick around? Let's set, up, let's set up tents and stay here. But fast forward to Matthew 19, and the little kids try to sit on the lap of Jesus, and they say, no, it's not good for you to be here. You shouldn't be here. You should be over there. In Matthew 15, because there's an irritating Canaanite woman begging Jesus to heal her daughter, they say, look, just, just heal her so she can go away. We deserve this, but they don't. The children doesn't, the Canaanite woman doesn't. For them, some people, Moses, Elijah, themselves deserve an audience with the king. But others, little children and irritating Canaanite women don't. Some are highly regarded and others are completely discarded. But Jesus is different, and they should learn from Jesus. We should learn from Jesus. Friends, Jesus is not a chess player like my kind of chess, where you sacrifice the pawns. But don't you dare touch my precious pieces. No. Every single piece matters to Jesus. You have no idea the infinite value that Christ in his mercy places on every single believer, no matter their earthly work. You have no idea how much Christ cares for every single believer. Friends, how quick we are, like the disciples, to see others' value based on what they bring to the table. To count them as, uh, as, as worthy or unworthy, depending on what we can get out of them, what they can do for us. To see their impressiveness in, in simply worldly terms. To look out for the best of the best. To see them as benefit only in as much as they benefit us. You have no idea the worth of every single little believer to Christ their King. Do not despise the grumpy. Do not despise the simple. Do not despise the flaky. Do not despise the unlovely, the rude, the, the weepy, the anxious, the, the wannabe, the ill, the, the ignorant, the the joy-sapping pessimist or the kind of foolish, gung-ho optimist. Do not despise the ones that the world looks down on. The world sees them as fools, but not us. By the grace of God, we see differently, don't we? We see rightly as we are humbled by him day in, day out, we see ourselves less and we see others more. Friends, you have no idea how much Christ loves every single one of his little ones. And as you look at any unimpressive believer, when you're tempted to, to think little of them like I am so often, let this reminder of their heavenly entourage, the angels who always have their back, let that remind you of who you are dealing with. You are dealing, you are dealing with a son and a daughter of the king. Jesus loves them. This I know. 
before the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves them. Yes, Jesus loves them. Yes, Jesus loves them. The Bible tells me so. Let me pray. Father God, help us in your mercy and in your kindness to see every little one of faith in the way that you do. Father, sorry for my arrogance and for our arrogance when we do see people as valuable in what they can bring to us. Humble as lords. And, and Lord, where there is doubt in our own worth, Lord, when rather than genuine hum humility, there is a genuine fear or anxiety of our, our own wor worthiness, Lord, let us see our own angelic entourage. Let us see the care that you have, that you've always got our back. Let us see your kindness to us and we would know our wonderful worth. Father, help us to see the unknowable love that Christ has for every one of his little children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.